All right, now, it's my pleasure to welcome our keynote speaker, Sue Gordon, 30-year national security leader and former principal deputy director of the National Intelligence. As the country's number two ranking intelligence official and the fifth principal deputy director of national intelligence, Sue co-led the office of director of national intelligence and oversaw the intelli entire intelligence community, comprised of over a dozen agencies that collect information on threats against the United States. Specifically, Sue's transformational leadership focused on integrating intelligence across the organizations, expanding outreach and partnerships, and driving innovation and advancing diversity and inclusion throughout the community. In her 30 years of service, Sue has led at every level of the intelligence community with roles spanning numerous organizations and disciplines, learning to, and this is really cool, learning to see the world as it is and not as she prefers it to be. Prior to assuming the role of the PDDNI, Sue served as the Deputy Director of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency from 2015 to 2017, where she was instrumental in driving transformation to meet the challenges of a 21st century intelligence agency. And before her assignment to the NGA, Sue served for 27 years in the Central Intelligence Agency, where she was involved in some of the most monumental operations in US history, including the raid of Osama bin Laden. Joining Sue on stage is the ServiceNow Vice Chairman of Global Public uh, Sector, Kevin Haverty. Please join me in welcoming Kevin and Sue. All right. Sue, thank you so much for joining me here on the stage. Well, thanks. Okay. Here we go. So, Sue, given your long and distinguished career in national security leadership, I'd like to start with a question reflecting our current geopolitical moment. You know, last year at this time, uh, at, the, at the ServiceNow Fed Forum, the talk of the forum was the fact that Russia had just invaded the Ukraine. Um, we were also all very excited that the DC mask mandate had just taken place. Yes, it was the first time a lot of us had been to a, uh, to a session uh, in person. Yeah, you all look good. <laughs> Everybody's looking good, but that seems like a long time ago. Um, but now that we're in hopefully a post-COVID world um, and the world is changing faster than ever, what you like to call a leadership moment, um, how would you reflect on the theme of transformation and how it applies to technology? So first, thanks for having me. Um, I, I was thinking about Nick's quotation, so I'll offer one to you. One of the intelligence community's icons would, was Edwin Land. And he was a uh, Polaroid land camera, really responsible, and involved in photo reconnaissance. And my favorite quotation of his was, never take on a problem unless it's manifestly important and nearly impossible. <laughs> That's what we're doing here today. So. Um, the moment in which we find ourselves. The first thing is, it feels like a minute ago we were living in a world that we thought was one of abundance and ease. Yeah, yeah, we knew there was a future out there, we knew there were things that we needed to do, but we thought we had time, we thought we had our own domain, and we thought that whatever we wanted, we could get. And then now, with the pandemic, we learned that we're interconnected and the choices we make are the choices we're making for other people. We also are well aware that this is a very contested environment. We're in one, if not two wars. 
And so there's an urgency to be able to do things. The way I think about this moment is it's one where every technology is available to everyone globally. And so the one that wins is the one that can put it to clever use fastest. And that's what, to me, we're talking about today. How do you get things into use? It's not the technology itself, but it's the technology use. The second is digital connectedness that just makes boundaries obliterated, reach infinite, partnerships necessary, and speed the coin of the realm. Um, and so those things are where we are right now. Uh, when I talk about a leadership moment, I think there are three things any leader, and I tend to put disproportionate weight on the government because that's where I spent the bulk of my career, needs to do. Number one is you need to understand that mission does not equal modality, right? What you do and how you do it are not the same. And so you can be absolutely convinced in the trueness of your mission, but you have got to be willing to do that mission differently. My example with intelligence is we used to be hunters, now we had to be gatherers. And so that changes the information you have to be willing to use. And the community will say, well, but we do special things. I don't care. What we do is we want to know the truth if the world has information we need to use. So that's number one. Mission does not equal modality. The second is you cannot have support be derivative of mission. Wait until you decide what you want to do and then ask your support organizations to just implement that. You have to intertwine that. So that's my message. Big mission doesn't equal modality and how you do things has got to be intertwined with what you're trying to do. Other Excellent. than that, easy day. Easy. Peace easy. is around the corner. <laughs> well, whenever you say speed and easy in the same comments, they're, they're, <laughs> they're mutually uh, exclusive sometimes. Could we advance the uh, speaker slide, please? OK, here we go. So um, now, as you were describing the current environment, we all realize that digital connections are expanding yeah. exponentially. Yeah. Um, what steps should the government be taking to move faster and uh, make smarter decisions about IT, taking into consideration digital security, and also keep up with this ever-changing world? I think the most important thing the government needs to do is to, um, how do I say this? Uh, I was thinking about Nick's build and buy, so I'm distracted by yep. that one. The government has historically built its own because it has its, what it believes are unique, stringent requirements. The problem is the minute you build for yourself, you, the next day you're behind. So I think one of the most important things to keep up with an ever-changing world is to have a digital infrastructure that allows you to be current today and today and today and move forward. The second thing is, is that you will never be able to perfectly know what you have to be able to do. The world is moving so fast that your requirements, your needs, how you need to operate needs to be able to change. And so you cannot have something that only works as it was imagined working on the day it was imagined. So this ability to 
change your mind about how you want to work without having to rip and replace everything you have or be stuck with a way that you didn't do it before. And then the third thing I think that is really important. I know security is, is hard. And I know security can slow things down. But security is one of the things that distinguishes government from other. That ability for the American people at any level to be able to trust is really foundational. And so the thing is you have to think of security as something you're offering, not as a technology you're employing. And so that idea of security has got to be how do you account for security how do you account for it differently? But as partners, we have to not imagine that we can be insecure and somehow that's the answer. Okay, so security being foundational. Um, Absolutely. So, But how you do security is mutable, but you have to show how you're accounting for the need that led to the implementation before differently. And you need to be able to talk about the risk that is being assumed when you change. Because that's really, with security, what happens. There's a seizure moment in any decision maker's mind that said, oh my gosh, I can't make us less secure. And because our leaders are not as technically robust as they will be in a generation, Many times they view technology as additive risk, and so you get this moment of just being, so when you want to talk to leaders about how you offer secure solutions, and that solution is different, you have to talk about how you're accounting for the foundational need, and show the risks they're assuming in order to be able to get the decision. Sorry. Okay, perfect. Um, um, there we go. So, leaders often talk about the private and public partnerships. Um, and let's reframe this debate now in an innovative way. Um, you know, I'm a ex-sales leader for a technology company. You're an ex-government official. Um, we're not always aligned or coming at the problem the same way. So how does the public sector and the private sector um, work with one another so that we're creating an elegant solution together as opposed to government listing a set of requirements yeah. that they want you know, the, the, the provider to hit. And do you have any examples of that where that's played out over the course of your career? Um, I wish I had said this to your earlier question. Yeah, this notion of requirements is really holding us back as a government. Talk about your need, talk about the problem you want, and then the creative solutions will, will come forward. Um, so a couple things. I think this is true in any sort of conflict scenario. And, and listen, conflict doesn't have to be negative. It has to be two opposing needs that are meeting each other and they have to coexist. I always bounce a little higher. So the first thing I'd say, the way you establish a public-private partnership is the recognition that you're both needed to do something higher than what you're each doing in terms of a task. So the, the most fundamental element is let's, let's bounce higher. And then the second thing is you can't ask the other side to do what they cannot do. I, we, we need government to be 
I know, right? That's a, that almost seems anathema. But one of the elements of the government's slowness is the fact that it is transparent and repeatable and fair. And if you had any doubt whether we needed the government, the collapse of the SVB is a great example of who did we turn to to solve that problem, a government that has to be able to solve those things. Um, but public-private partnership is necessary when any one organization can't achieve the bounced up higher outcome that they need. And we have done this really well over our history. We've just done it differently. My three examples. The first is uh, really simplistic. Back in the CIA when I started in the 80s, we used to acquire very special things, but it wasn't an acquisition organization that acquired them. It was mission organizations that acquired. And so my first lesson in public-private partnership is you can't, from the government side, just turn it over to an acquisition organization and let all the negotiations be theirs because it's mission need that has all the possibility and all the room for compromise. And if it's not the mission person that's involved in that partnership, you are going to have a hard time compromising when you have to give away something in order for it to close. The second is Incutel. In 1998, uh, the CIA wanted to be able to get to Silicon Valley differently because those companies weren't coming for ideological reasons, and they weren't also coming because it was just too, too hard to get through. And so the idea of Incutel, which was a public-private partnership, we will take what the government is good at. What's the government good at? Big purpose, deep pockets, long time horizon. So take what the government's good at, and then let's apply it in a way that allows industry to be good at what it's doing. And so the idea there was we will give big problems undifferentiated funds and will make it unclassified. And the response of Incutel was they made the adjudication of who were the best in breed. They awarded funds. Intellectual property did not become the ownership of the government and commercial product was the aim. So that was a great example where you took what each side was good at and came together for the purpose of shared outcome. And then the third is one that I think is applicable to ServiceNow and, and the whole notion of commercial service for government need, and that's look what NASA's done, right, in terms of how it is revolutionizing its access to space by basically going with commercial services, not buying off the shelf, but actually putting out a need and then pulling commercial through. And what they're getting in terms of the creative commercial solution is really abundant. So this notion of pulling commercial through the government, not just saying, well, that product isn't what I need, but rather saying, here's what I need. Can that service be delivered in a way that allows my need to be met? So I think this is a really interesting time. And, and just the name of ServiceNow is representative, I think, where we are. I, another one, I can keep going on. The CIA's decision to go with Amazon for a cloud well before anyone else was thinking of it is one of the best examples of mutual benefit I've ever seen. The CIA got way ahead of everyone else in terms of digital infrastructure. It took a while for them to figure out how to use it, 
but certainly it was way ahead in that foundation. But here's the coolest thing. What Amazon learned was that their solution wasn't nearly secure enough. They learned from that partnership, and you know, here's the best thing. Anyone who uses Amazon cloud services today benefits from the security that they learned at the hand of that partnership. So the other way to think of it is when this partnership happens, you get benefit beyond the solution that the two partners have, but each one gets better. And so I think we have that moment. Yeah, there, there's Don't a synergy. Uh, well, I can relate to that because as we've gone through our paces to get certifications to service the U.S. federal government, it's benefited our product and our platform entirely across all markets right. because you raise the bar, right. we jump over it, and now we have a, a more robust platform that you know applies to other regulated industries. Yeah, and for my government colleagues in the room, I would say this is the this is the most essential element of the role of government is to provide for societal gain. So may, you may do it for your mission, but don't be confused about the benefit that is accruing when you do it rightly. All right, I think we have time for one more, uh, if we could advance. Um, so how important is it? Yeah. We, we were talking about requirements versus collaboration. Um, let's talk about trust, mutual trust between the government and private industry to accelerate transformation. Um, and sometimes, Government has different priorities than the public sector. So we're coming at the problem with two sets of challenges, but we both want the same thing. How do we get to a place to get to open dialogue? And I think we all go faster if we can find that. Um, so trust is everything, uh, especially now. Uh, because w one of the things that's happening with the information disorder and cyber, that is fundamentally an attack on trust. And when trust is abrogated, it is disproportionately disadvantageous to free and open society. So this moment of being able to trust, having trusted systems is, is absolutely everything. And the government understands this even as I think it's still working on how to prosecute it. So this is worthwhile to explore. I think in, the way you go at it is again, what is our shared purpose? And you can't ask the other party to be what they can't, but you can recognize that most of the things that any party does, of 100% of the things they do, 37% is what they must do, and 63% is what they prefer to do. That's true for the government, that's true for industry. So what you're trying to do when you come together is you're trying to identify the higher purpose, be respectful of the 37% and each other, and then do all your work with the things that can't change. I will, I will say that the other thing that helps to establish trust is when every party in a relationship, and again, this, we all agree we need each other, that this is a moment that neither party in this public-private will succeed alone. Uh, it, the government is not the only actor in the threat space, in the threat protection space. National security decision makers are not exclusive to government. The solutions to what we need are not exclusively government held. 
and yet we as a collective have things we need to do. So this is really important. I think one of the most fundamental elements of establishing trust is, is the other side investing in a manner that it shows that it is serious about being a trusted partner? And part of that seriousness is, I call them iconic acts. What are you doing to show that you are actually open to doing something other than what you prefer for the good of the shared outcome? So for the government side, it might actually be writing a statement of work that is less than a page long and just talks about what you need, not how you ought to do it. On ServiceNow, since we're in this room, on ServiceNow side, I think it's making investment in things that you would not do if you were not serious about the needs of the organization. And so when you talk about the choices you're making about security and the investment you make in order to be able to operate differently, those are iconic acts about what you are serious about doing together. And I, th I think this is, I think there are enough models and for, I don't know whether we have the lawyers in the room or the policymakers in the room, we need to start looking at the difference between statute and policy. I have not found a lot of places where statute limits us and policy does. Anytime you find a policy, what we need policymakers to do is to start writing policies that get us where we need to go and allow good things to happen, not just stop bad things from happening. So as a collective, those are the sorts of things that we can do together to show that we have trust because none of us are gonna get where we need to go alone. Fantastic. Well, you serve on the Defense Innovation Board uh, at a time when defense agencies are co uh, continuing to migrate sensitive data to clouds. Um, how important is it for the government when private sector makes significant investments, like for example, ServiceNow, uh, we just achieved impact level five. That's huge, congratulations. Yeah, that's big. Like it, and, and for every security officer, every CISO, everyone knows what that is. Here's what it means to those of us that have the far easier job. It means that I can do mission, right? It means that I can operate with the speed and efficiency that I need to. It means that my information can be where it must be in order to serve mission at speed rather than behind an enclave in a door with 37,000 people around it. What you've invested in is investing in my mission, right? You did it on yours so that I could do mine. And the other thing that I think is really important, we haven't talked about this, the government is inundated with people that are offering them what? Things that they can throw over the transom that are going to somehow make, and all those things are good. The government recognizes the goodness of the things, but it is flummoxed by how do I get those into play? If you want to offer something to the government, don't just offer them what, offer them how. When you make an investment to get to TI-5, you have said, I've shown you how you can get there. Not if you buy my product, we'll work with you to get that, but no, I've already gotten there, now you have a how. And when you have hows, you're gonna get decisions. When you get decisions, you're gonna get 
adoption. When you get adoption, you're going to get mission, and we need that. Fantastic. Well, Sue, thank you so much for joining us here. Thanks, I really appreciate your insights. Appreciate you. You got thank it. You. Steve's going to take you off. All right, well, you heard from Steve and Nick about our continued investments into the U.S. federal practice. Uh, we also have other investments going on corporately. So I'm in a new role as vice chairman, um, and one of my first orders of business was to create a global public sector practice. So what we're doing is uh, we're taking some of the learnings that we have with the U.S. federal government and the other federal governments and state and local governments around the world especially with a focus on our, um, on our larger markets, and we've created a global public sector team. And I went out to search the marketplace looking for somebody who had not only government experience, but also technology experience to help these governments across the world digitally transform at speed. And it's my great pleasure to announce today, you may have seen the press release that crossed the wire this morning, that Dr. Raj Iyer has joined ServiceNow as the new head of global public sector. He's here with us today, Dr. Iyer, right over here down front. Thank you so much for your service and your role as CIO of the U.S. Army, and we're looking forward to your contribution at ServiceNow as the head of global public sector. All right, well, I'd like to thank you all for your attention to this part of the session and reintroduce Steve to the stage, Steve Walters. Thank you.